Support for I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere comes from MX Publishing. With the largest catalog of new Sherlock Holmes books in the world, new novels, biographies, graphic novels, and short story collections about Sherlock Holmes. Find them at mxpublishing.com. And by the Wessex Press, the premier publisher of books about Sherlock Holmes and his world. Find them online at wessexpress.com. And from listeners like you, who support us through Patreon. Bonus material, thank you gifts, and more await at patreon.com slash I Hear of Sherlock. I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, episode 238, referring to my notes. I hear of Sherlock Everywhere, since you became astronomer. In a world where it's always 1895, comes I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, a podcast for devotees of Mr. Sherlock Holmes, the world's first unofficial consulting detective. I've heard of you before. You're Holmes the meddler, Holmes the busybody, Holmes the Scotland Yard jacket officer. <laughs> the game's afoot as we discuss goings-on in the world of Sherlock Holmes enthusiasts, the bigger streeter regulars, and popular culture related to the great detective. As we go to press, sensational developments have been reported. So join your hosts, Scott Monty and Burke Walder, as they talk about what's new in the world of Sherlock Holmes. You couldn't have come at a better time! Well, la-ti-da. Welcome once again to I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast for Sherlock Holmes devotees where it's always 1895. I'm Scott Monty. I'm Bert Wilder. And Bert, are you are you musically inclined today? Not only that, I'm practically horizontal because I've been resting against one of these padded cellos that I began building when I was going under my surrealist phase. I have about four of them left, and this one is, uh, you know, sort of purple and cushioned. It's really very comfortable, but that's because that's because it's a C flat cello. Uh, <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. Uh, lovely, though, lovely. Well, I'm I'm over here. Uh, resting on my laurels, and my laurels are quite flat now as a result. I thought, your laurels, I thought your laurels would be hardy at this point. <laughs> They're either flat or sharp, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Hardy laurels, I, I see what you did there, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, <laughs> so I'd like to welcome you with a laurel and hearty handshake. Um, this is, of course, episode 238. We are speaking with uh, the two editors behind Referring to My Notes, which is one of the latest books in the BSI Press uh, publications. This is from the, uh, the, the Professions series. We've had a number of other entries in that area, so we'll be getting right to that. If you would like to find the show notes for this episode, they're available at ihose.co slash ihose238. That's all lowercase. It'll take you directly to our website. You can find the notes there along with ways to ensure that you don't miss a thing when we publish it on the website. You know, we have occasional blog posts and news updates and 
we have uh, fortnightly updates from our friends at Baker Street Elementary, a comic strip. Um, lots of things to consider there at the site. And if you don't want to miss a thing, you can sign up to be notified by email right there. We also want to take a moment to thank all of our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for supporting the show and making it possible for us to do what we do. We are catching up on some of the administrative functions there, so we appreciate your patience, and we will look forward to bringing you more exclusive material just because you are a supporter. So thank you very much. Alex Katz received his investiture, Sarah Sate, in the BSI in 2019. He's a graduate of the Hart School with a bachelor's degree in music and a master's in music history. Since completing his doctorate in educational leadership, Alex has been working at the Home Depot as a human resources manager. He's a trained pianist and violinist. He's performed at a number of Sherlockian events and meetings, including two performances with his co-editor. A lifelong Sherlockian from the womb, he has co-authored four articles with Kate Carlson that have appeared in the Watsonian, the Serpentine Muse, the Baker Street Journal, and the Sherlock Holmes Journal. Karen Wilson received her investiture in the BSI, Bartholomew Wilson, in 2022. And she is a Baltimore-area philosophy teacher, a church musician, a former classical radio DJ, and a grandma. A past gasogene of Watson's Tin Box of Ellicott City, Maryland, she's also a member of the Sons of the Copper Beaches, the Six Napoleons of Baltimore, the Sherlockians of Baltimore, and the Diogenes Club of Washington, D.C. Karen is an avid filker who routinely inflicts her Sherlockian lyrics on all of the aforementioned groups at special events such as the, spa, uh, the Gaslight Gala. She recently made her non-musical debut as a speaker at the 2020 Saturday with Sherlock Holmes event at, at the Pratt Library virtually in Baltimore. She served on the Gaslight Gala Committee since 2017, the same year which she assumed the role of organizer for A Scintillation of Scions, a day-long Sherlockian symposium held annually near Baltimore. Her poems and other trifles have appeared in The Serpentine Muse, Irene's Cabinet, The Newspapers, and The Baker Street Almanac. Alex Katz and Karen Wilson, welcome to I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. Thanks for having us. Yes, thanks for inviting us. Now, Karen, you are a repeat visitor. We talked with you on uh, the episode called Hip Hop Homes, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> and um, Alex, if I am not mistaken, you are a first timer here on I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. That is correct. This is my first foray into the iHose podcast. Excellent. Well, for our listeners who don't know you then, um, why don't we start out with the standard question, which is how did you first meet Sherlock Holmes? Um, (laughs) That's an interesting question. I guess I could say I met Sherlock Holmes through the womb. (laughs) Now, explain that. We know why, but explain it. Um, Well, both of my parents are Sherlockians. Um, My father is in the BSI, and my mother was in Ash. And something that people may 
some people may know or some people may not know is that my mother's birthday was January 6th. So if there was, you know, any sort of chance to slip through the cracks, that was not going to happen. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, and it certainly gave your father an excuse for uh, going going to the BSI weekend, which is typically around January sixth. He's helping your mom celebrate her birthday. Yeah. So, yes. Alex, what's your what was your earliest memory of Sherlock Holmes? Does it have to be canonical or no? No, any kind of memory. Yeah. Uh, my earliest memories are the Sherlockians who would visit the house. We're going to visit Sherlockians. Um, Tom Sticks didn't live too far from us. And so he and Dorothy would come here to our house or we go to their house. Obviously, um, Sherry and Scott Bond would be very frequent visiting to our house. Um, very often they would come to visit us. Um, and so my earliest memories are the Sherlockians visiting as opposed to the stories. Yeah. When was the first time you read a story? Um, or what was the first story you read? Oh, the first story that I read was The Speckled Band. Oh. Yes. Did it scare read you it, I don't remember what grade I was in, but I know that we read it in either late elementary or early middle school. Did it scare you to death? No, because... Um, by then, I had already heard all the all the different names and the different um, and the different people in the stories. So it was kind of you know, oh, the speckled band, right? The one with the snake. <laughs> yeah, and Bert, really, after all of those Sherlockians visiting Alex, I mean, how could a snake possibly scare him? <laughs> it's now, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar, Tom Stix was the head of the BSI in uh, the 1980s and uh, through the mid-1990s, and Scott and Sherry Rose Bond are Sherlockians from the Philadelphia area. Scott, of course, was an illustrator for the Baker Street Journal for about 40 years or so. So there is uh, some longevity there in Alex's Sherlockian uh, memories. Well, let's get to uh, referring to my notes. Referring to my notes, I see this is from the BSI Press. This is part of the uh, Baker Street Irregulars Professions series. We've also heard about uh, doctors from Nerve and Knowledge. We've uh, read about canon law. Uh, Education Never Ends brought us into the classroom. And uh, corporals, colonels, and commissionaires uh, associated us with the military. So now we have, referring to my notes, which is music and the Sherlockian canon. Um, I know both of you have musical proclivities, musical training, certainly. But where was there to trod in Sherlockian publications that hadn't already been done, say, by Guy Warwick in, in 1947 or uh, other Sherlockians throughout the years. What, what was the uh, difference here, Karen, about referring to my notes? Well, Warwick, I mean, it's a really fun and interesting little book um, and super idiosyncratic. I think you learn as much about Guy Warwick as you do about the... Uh, uh, music in the canon, but he sticks uh, strictly to the canon, and uh, we went a little afield and also have uh, articles about um, uh, 
Sherlockians who were musical and uh, stage uh, presentations uh, that were uh, inspired by Sherlock Holmes and uh, oh, uh, things like that. So we went, we went, uh, we went a little off uh, canon as well as the usual places. Well, you've done more than that. You know, you've really brought together 13, 14 great contributors here. For those of our listeners who don't know, uh, Scott referred to this earlier. In 1947, the book Sherlock Holmes and Music was written by Guy Warrock. He was an interesting guy. He was a Scottish composer, a music educator, a conductor. He studied at the Royal College of Music. His... um, his professors there included Gustav Holtz, Ralph von Williams, Adrian Bolt. He taught on the faculty of the Royal College of Music. He was an accomplished mathematician. And among other things, he wrote this book. He also wrote a book about the history of the Royal College of Music, and he became the principal conductor of the BBC Scottish Symphony. But So in 1947, he comes out with this book that's, that's before, actually, the formation of the what we know today as the Sherlock Holmes Society of London. But his book was really 56 pages. It was, it was like a, a large essay. And as Karen says, you know, he went through, you learn more about him than you really learn more about the subject. But here, in um, referring to my notes, you know, you've brought together 13, 14 great contributors. How did you come up with the editorial structure? How did you, how did you sort of divide this subject? Because you've got... You've got the major sections here, Holmes, the violinist, the woman and the voice. You know, you've got this major section on Irene Adler. You've got other musical matters and, and so on, which we're going to get into. How did, you, how did you develop the editorial structure for this? What did we do, Alex? Brainstorming session? Yeah, we kind of, we, we, we played off each other, um, Karen and I, and um, when we first started, um, Karen had come up with some fantastic um, ideas for chapters, and I kind of um, would figure out which um, Sherlockians I thought would be best at writing the chapters. And then um, we kind of we started, I guess, with that outline, and then we kind of just filled in the gaps for things that, I guess I'm going to say this selfishly, <laughs> things that we would want to read in a, a book about the Sherlockian canon in music to make sure that we covered those, um, those areas. And what were some of the things that you thought you might like to read about? That made it into the book? Well, uh, the uh, stage adaptations uh, based on Sherlock Holmes, I, the musicals, and uh, I didn't even know this uh, when we proposed the topic, uh, but uh, there was a ballet as well. And... Uh, those uh, adaptations of uh, Holmes, I thought that would be a great topic, and uh, so it was. Uh, it was really done uh, justice to by Paul Singleton. Um, the uh, Baker Street Irregulars, musicians in the Irregulars. I have that voices from Baker Street, and uh, uh, you know the recordings of uh, uh, Jim Montgomery uh, singing at uh, various meetings, and I thought that would be a, a great thing. Oh, what, what? Now you intrigued me here. So what were you interested in that didn't make it into the book? Uh, well, you know what 2020 was. And so uh, not every person that we asked to contribute was able to 
or was able to uh, address the topic that uh, we originally had in mind just because of the unavailability of libraries and uh, uh, people being uh, stranded far from their homes in some cases. And so, yes, for my uh, imaginary volume two, uh, I do would love to get into the uh, the, the Chopin piece that uh, Holmes allegedly couldn't wait to hear Norman Neruda play, uh, for instance. This seems like the kind of thing that almost might have a because you know what we're talking about here it it, it is music and writing about music, describing music. I mean, that's all wonderful, and it certainly takes a, a type of talent. But we have an opportunity, I would think, to have a, almost a, an audio companion volume to, to, uh, to this, where we could actually demonstrate um, excerpts or full pieces of what it is you're talking about. you think that's, that's doable at some point in the world of uh, Sherlock Holmes publications that whether it's a, an audio book, an e-book to have a kind of uh, musical companion volume for people to listen to. Wouldn't that be we wonderful? We did very briefly talk about that in the very early stages of, um, of the creation of this book, but for, many different reasons we we focused on the on the actual the chapters you know there would be a cost involved in adding you know a a cd um but it it, it was something that we definitely um talked about interesting interesting well it's i mean it's something we might pursue in future Terry Hunt appended to his uh, article, one of his two articles, uh, the one he wrote about uh, Irene Adler that was based on his uh, Chautauqua uh, presentation. He uh, appended some, uh, I think, uh, recordings or, or uh, references to, for further uh, study if you want to listen to. Um, but yes, it would be, it'd be wonderful to have that, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, yes, I'm looking at his discog discography on page 47. <laughs> well, you've got these wonderful sections here, and unsurprisingly, the first section in the book is about the primary violinist here, which of course is is Sherlock Holmes. And Karen, you're the author of a paper here, the second paper in the book about Holmes' skills as a violinist. And then Jim Hawkins in this same section has got a lovely essay bringing together an enormous amount of information about Stradivarius violins and what sets them apart and uh, gathers, I think, more information than I've ever seen in one place about Holmes's Stradivarius. He had a wonderful source. Um, somebody who's uh, uh, located in Boston, I think, the president of uh, Rooning and Sons Violins, Christopher Rooning, who uh, shared a lot of information with him and uh, provided visuals, I think, for him. And uh, yeah, it was great. Mm. And then the second section is all about Irene Adler. And so, any of our listeners who are interested in the great uh, contralto, you know, and that is. Um, a whole subject here. Was she really a contralto and so on? But Terry Hunt has got a great description, as you mentioned, of Irene's repertoire, 
which I've never seen anyone go into in, in such detail. And then, you know, you mentioned things that you didn't know about, like the ballet. I had no idea. Sherry Rose Bond has written this lovely essay about Lillian Nordica and the parallels between Nordica's career and Irene Adler. It's really interesting. Yes, uh, I didn't know much about her either, and uh, so that was, uh, that was a revelation. Yeah, I was uh, impressed to see Irene Adler called the Yankee Diva Dandy. <laughs> I mean, you can't have a book on Sherlock Holmes music and not have um, Irene Adler. Yeah. Now, do we know any place either in, uh, well, certainly not the canon that I'm aware of, but perhaps uh, some scholarship that conclusively determines that Sherlock Holmes heard Irene Adler sing? I'm not aware of it. Oh, that's a good question. Because it, it strikes me that it could have been part of his infatuation. If he heard her, you know, maybe practicing uh, at her home at Briony Lodge, uh, or, or in uh, perhaps he saw her on stage in some performance, perhaps that was part of why he was so smitten with her, in addition to her ability to stay one step ahead of him. Although if he had seen her before the case, he wouldn't have had to look her up, would he? That is true. I think, uh, in fact, Sherry may make that point as well. That could be a great possible paper topic, though, Scott. (laughs) You're already thinking of volume two. I love it. Well, and then, and then the third section in the book, you know, you get into more matters musical. And there we're into the favorite subject of the Mazarin Stone. But the issue there, of course, is that in that particular case, Holmes puts on a recording, a gramophone record <laughs> of a baccarole. And there are so many issues about that gramophone record, you know, which... You know, in terms of the history of recording technology in, in Britain, no matter how you place that particular story in a particular year, there appears to have been no recording extant. So the question is, you know, what exactly was all that all about? Well, the, uh, Oliver Mundy, and I don't want to give away the paper. This is a wonderful paper, and buy the book for his paper. Uh, but uh, but Oliver Mundy uh, talks about uh, why he feels it had to be... Uh, uh, not the gramophone, but a modified phonograph, so that uh, we can imagine that Holmes made his own recording, which you could do on the wax cylinders, and you, you know, you'd have to uh, book time at one of the few studios in existence to record yourself uh, for a gramophone. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break here and turn to the gramophone that has recorded a message from our sponsor. Stay tuned. MX Publishing recently launched the MX Audio Collection, an app with a series of interviews and other audio content, beginning with Lee Child talking about Reacher and Sherlock. There are many more interviews lined up for 2022, including Jeffrey Hatcher, screenwriter for Mr. Holmes, Otto Penzler, the founder of the Mysterious Bookshop and Mysterious Press, authors like Bonnie McBird and Nicholas Meyer, And yours truly, Scott Monty and Burt Walder from I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. Every month, MX will be adding in at least four new Sherlock Holmes stories and some more theater performances. There'll be more from the deductionist Ben Cardall, too. 
You can read more about the app and sign up for the MX Audio collection at ihose.co slash mxaudio. That's all lowercase, ihose.co slash mxaudio. There's a monthly subscription option and an annual subscription option with a significant discount. And iHost listeners get an additional 25% off of any subscription you choose just by using the code iHose when checking out. A percentage of the proceeds of the app go to Undershaw, the school for children with learning disabilities. It was the former home of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who of course wrote many of the Sherlock Holmes stories while he lived there. So go to iHose.co slash MXAudio and use the code iHose today for the MX Audio Collection. We are back talking with Karen Wilson and Alex Katz about referring to my notes, music and the Sherlockian canon. It's a marvelous book with a wide-ranging variety of essays on music. And, you know, one that uh, Catherine Cook wrote uh, about music in the life of Arthur Conan Doyle, this is interesting to me because Conan Doyle was also a sportsman, and yet he was a little sloppy in some of his detailing of sport-related matters in the Sherlock Holmes stories. What do we know about his uh, experience with music and how that translated to his knowledge of it within the pages of the canon? Again, not to give away the, the, the paper that Catherine put together, but um, she does a really wonderful job of detailing um, Conan Doyle's experiences with music and his family's experiences with music and how it did impact his, um, his thinking. And it's very clear from her article how it shaped um, the music that we, the way that Sherlock Holmes and Watson, you know, view music. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I don't think it's giving away anything, too. But it is another reason to get the book. You know, I was, you know, you mentioned earlier, Karen, you didn't know about the ballet. Well, there's so many things in here I didn't know about, including the fact that Conan Doyle's second wife was an opera singer. I had no idea. So he, uh, you know, may have heard her singing in the bath in the morning. You know, there were so many things in, in Catherine's article about um, Conan Doyle's early early life with music that I had that I had never uh, that I did not know. Yeah. But there's a, there's also a lovely paper in this particular section, "Music in the World of Sherlock Holmes" by Roger Johnson, about some something that I'm so fond of, and I was so thrilled to see it here, which is the music hall. You know, we hear always about Holmes saying, "Watson, you know, it's Wagner night at Covent Garden. You know, let's go here, let's go there." I always imagine Watson sitting there thinking, you know, if only I were down at the music hall <laughs> instead, you know. And here's a lovely paper by, uh, by Roger about the, really, about the world of the music hall, about popular music in Holmes's world. Yes, and he also touches on uh, how the music halls uh, are portrayed in Sherlock Holmes films, which is uh, also interesting. That's probably a favorite of uh, a lot of people who have seen Basil Rathbone. I think it was the original Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, right? Yes. Yes, yes. Oh, I, I do, do like to, to be beside the sea, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
one of the rare moments when Rathbone really got to do something pub- probably fun, you know, that was uh, on set. Well, I, what do you think, though, Bert? Did, do you think Rathbone had fun with that, uh, kind of getting out of character? Oh, I think so. You know, the... the uh, you know, the thing we forget about Rathbone is he had this large theater career and theater training in England before he wound up in Hollywood. And, um, you know, I do think that for for a good part of his life, you know, he was sort of wishing he was someplace else. And so the opportunity, you know, the opportunity to uh, do a music hall character, to do a little sing song, a little dance... Um, I can't imagine that was anything but fun for him. A little seltzer down your pants. Down your pants, right. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, if he had played his cards right, that could have been his ticket out of the Sherlockian uh, shackles that were placed on him for the, the, the next however many years of his career. Wow. And, and then here's, here's an interesting one, because um, I used to travel from Boston to New York with the author of this article tom francis uh he writes about sherlock holmes at the opera and and i know that when when tom and i used to travel together we used to go down to the bsi weekend he would always make thursday night um his evening to go to the met and see an opera and i even went to a couple of them uh, with him so i know his passion for it well talk to us a little bit about how tom approaches the topic of Sherlock Holmes and the opera. Well, he goes for the specific uh, things that are mentioned in the uh, in the story. So, in *The Hound of the Baskervilles*, uh, Holmes uh, not only mentions the opera, but the opera he's going to see and who's going to be performing. And so, uh, there's a good bit in the article about uh, the brothers Dureski, the the uh, two opera singers who uh, spent uh, a lot of time. Uh, in England, uh, performing, and uh, so there's a lot of good information about them. Yeah, it's a lovely um, paper, and I've corresponded separately with Tom about this because there, there's one little inconsistency that I won't get into in his essay, but it's really <laughs> worth reading. Also, there's an Easter egg in his essay, which I won't say anything at all about, but it's worth reading his essay very carefully to see what uh, this particular reference is all about wow i edited that essay twice and i'm gonna have to read it again (laughs) well privately i'll tell you what it is (laughs) all right uh, no spoilers bird come on no no spoilers don't don't ruin it for karen (laughs) oh that's right yeah yeah well you can look at it again you know, I'm fascinated that we, uh, I, I certainly had not expected this in this volume, uh, but that we actually get to meet Sarasate in this book. How, how did that come about? The Sherlockian world has so many wonderful and fascinating um, people. And Bonnie McBird was able to, um, to obtain an interview with um, Bruce Dukov, and it was, it, I mean, it's a fantastic um, paper in our book, and it's it's really wonderful to be able to get that personal and that close to, you know, as, this, is as, this is probably as close to Sarasate as we'll ever get. <laughs> Yeah, and and Dukov, I mean, he's a he's a performer. He's not an actor, right? He's a, an actual violinist. 
Right. Yeah. Played no, Sarasate in the Granada versions for people who don't know. And actually, that this was really uh, one of those. Uh, the plan A did not work out, and plan B uh, turned out to be uh, equally uh, marvelous. Uh, Bonnie was originally going to uh, look into something else for us, but uh, because of COVID, she got uh, exiled from California, uh, where sources for that thing would be. And there she was in England, and uh, she says, I can give you Sarasate. I said, oh, please. <laughs> Well, we're we're grateful to um, <laughs> to Bonnie's quarantine combined with her ingenuity, a wonderful combination there, and her artistic skills also on display. By by which I mean drawing, uh, in the book. So that's a treat for those who buy it. Yes, you know, Karen mentioned you know the earlier the the year of twenty twenty when we were first approached to take on this book in January twenty twenty. Um, the BSI dinner weekend, obviously no one knew that seven, eight weeks later, you know, the world was going to completely change on us. And so um, what we thought would have been, you know, a very, a fun, a fun um, book to, to put together and to have collaborations with all these wonderful um, authors ended up being so much more because at least um, for myself, it was such a necessary outlet to get away from everything that was happening in 2020, you know, and to be able to find yourself in something fun and something good because at least, you know, for the first half of 2020, everywhere you looked, it was just, there was just so much negativity. You know, we can we can always look, I think, to Holmes to uh, brighten a corner of our lives, and even more, I think, musically. I think a lot of people turn to music to uh, kind of salve uh, wounds or to bide the time. I mean, look at look at Holmes. You know, he he would even use his violin as a way to uh, while away the time or uh, to reflect his moods. Um, you know, we we've uh, we we certainly heard about him scraping at the violin as he held it over his knee which uh, i don't know my, most most purists <laughs> certainly purists who who know about stradivari uh would wrinkle their nose at that i would imagine my son's a violinist and one of the first things i did for my uh, local scion when i joined uh, Watson's Tin Box of Ellicott City, Maryland um was to have him come in and play the pieces that were mentioned or uh, characteristic pieces by the composers who were mentioned in the canon and I begged him to give a demonstration of throwing the violin across his knee and scraping the bow across it and he categorically refused <laughs> smart lad <laughs> oh that's great well you know as we as we think about musical um, representation of Sherlock Holmes to the public there have really only been three major um uh, works that I can think of. It's certainly that Paul Singleton outlines here. There's The Great Detective, the ballet from the 1950s. Uh, mo most famously is Baker Street, the musical from uh, 1965 by uh, Jerome Cooper Smith. Um, and then, of course, there's Sherlock Holmes, the musical by Leslie Bercuse from 1989, I believe it was. Have there been other musical presentations of Sherlock Holmes that we're aware of? 
Well, if you follow Howard Ostrom on Facebook, you will frequently find that he posts uh, recorded uh, bits from Sherlock Holmes musicals. So they have at least been workshopped and uh, recordings exist. And uh, uh, again, they're out there, but uh, I'm not aware of any that have been like fully mounted and... and... Mm. I mean, I did go to something really fun. Uh, oh, I can't remember how many years ago it was now. More than 15, I think. In uh, uh, Washington, D.C., I, I think I went with the Red Circle to see a performance of something called uh, Sherlock Holmes and the Case of the Purloined Patients, which was uh, a Sherlock Holmes solving a case for Doily Cart about a stolen manuscript for uh, their operetta patients and there was something to do with copyrights so there was money and uh and such involved and and so they got sherlock holmes on the case and it was a musical and all of the pieces were famous gilbert and sullivan tunes with new words to them brilliantly performed by the people uh on stage and sherlock holmes of course a patter baritone as god intended um and uh, there <laughs> There may, there may be other things uh, like that. <laughs> well, no, I say it's God intended because I also attended. And Alex, did you go to this? They workshopped uh, an adaptation of musical theater adaptation of Lindsay Fay's Dust and Shadow. And, uh, oh, yes. Uh, yes, yes, yes. And I think uh, the Holmes was uh, Bryce Pinkham. Anyway, he's a super high tenor. And I thought, you know, he's wonderful. I'd seen him on Broadway. He he was the lead in uh, Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. Uh, just excellent performer. But I thought, Holmes is not a tenor. No. <laughs> <laughs> not to me. Yeah. 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 Well, in addition, in addition to that, too, there's the films, you know. And so you've got Private Life with a wonderful score by Miklos Rocha. And... Um, 7% Solution, too, has had just fabulous music. I think that was John Addison who did the score yeah. for the 7% Solution. And so there have been these lovely melodies that have been associated with moments of action and adventure. And I don't remember anything about the scores for the Downey pictures, unfortunately. Well, something about the scores, that's on my wish list for Imaginary Volume 2. I had really hoped to have a piece about the uh, the Rosa Concerto that he ad adapted. Uh, he had written it for Heifetz and then adapted it for the film. Uh, but it was not to be, so uh, perhaps uh, some other time. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I host a uh, an occasional show called Music at the Movies on uh, an app called Amp which is owned by Amazon. Uh, so I do uh, themed shows about, well, as you would imagine, music scores and soundtracks. And uh, a show that I do have planned at some point in the future is uh, Sherlock Holmes soundtracks. So um, you can guarantee that the Rosa piece will make a mention on there. And um, you know, I've listened to the original concerto from which uh, it was uh, derived from. Uh, and, uh, you know, very familiar with that. So it's close, near and dear to my heart, Karen. <laughs> well, um, I, I don't want to try and uh, squeeze more out of this, get more juice than there actually is, because there is uh, so much more that we want to leave uh, people to read in this book, referring to my notes, Music and the Sherlockian Canon, which is uh, edited by Alexander Katz and Karen Wilson. Is there anything else we should uh, absolutely make sure we ask you before we we uh, jut out of here? Well, you know, Karen had mentioned, you know, the her the the wish list of 
chapters to cover, and um, one chapter that we did not, we were not able to get into the book was um, Nicholas Meyer was originally going to um, provide us with a chapter on Gilbert and Sullivan, I believe. Um, and well, we, we were very thankful that, that yes. he was able instead to provide us a really wonderful foreword. And so I, I, I am so thankful that we were able to have his participation. But one thing I learned from that is that he's a musician. And uh, so we'll get him in Imaginary Volume 2. I like that. I like that. Something to look forward to. Well, Karen, Alex, thank you so much for joining us here on I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. Thanks for having us. Yes, thanks for inviting us. This was wonderful. And how appropriate to have that little bit of music at the end of that discussion. You know, it's one, I think it's more pronounced. I have a sense it's more pronounced with an interest in Sherlock Holmes than it is as an example with an interest in the works of Jane Austen or Charles Dickens or um, any other great genres or authors or bodies of fiction. The idea that you take your own personal interests and find a very happy alignment with the subject of Sherlock Holmes. So, for example, if you're a coin collector, you know, and you look at the terrific book Nick Utekin wrote a couple of years ago about coins of the canonical realm where he explained farthings and the variations in, in currency and everything Greg Ruby does, you know, with the fourth Garadab, or if you're interested in stamp collecting or if you're interested in electronic communications or technology, you know, you find things like the phonograph and telegrams and how people communicate. You, know, you just tend to apply it to Sherlock Holmes. And here's music. And it's the interesting thing about it is that since, you know, the Guy Warwick book in 1947, which, as we discussed, was really just sort of an extended essay, until today there hasn't been any real deep dive into this whole subject. And now that we've talked to Alex and Karen, it sounds like, you know, there might even be more to explore. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you think about... Uh, the, the various pieces that have been done over the years. I mean, people have looked at the Stradivarius. People have looked at, uh, you know, tra-la-la, lira-lira-lay, and tried to, um, you know, ascertain exactly which song that was. But, but to have everything together under one cover, or not everything, but to have many things together under one cover, a compilation album of sorts, uh, I think this is exactly what the uh, Doctor of Music ordered. And, you know, it, it also strikes me as you were talking there, Bert, about finding our interests in the Sherlock Holmes stories. It really is, and we've said this before, a, a microcosm of the world, of our interests there, and, um, you know, finding a well-rounded set of characters within. And it strikes me that not only in Sherlock Holmes do we have an actual musician but we have someone who, from time to time, takes an active interest in music beyond his own uh, fiddle scraping across his knees. You know, going to the theater, going to concerts, 
uh, finding his way into the stalls at uh, St. James and, uh, you know, just enjoying his reverie. Uh, I, I think we can all relate to that in one way or another. One of the great Sherlockian periodicals is back, the 2021 Sherlock Holmes Review, edited by Steve Doyle, art direction by Mark Gagan, with all new contributions from Nicholas Meyer, Robert Doherty, Frank Cho, Anne-Margaret Lewis, Steve Hawkinsmith, Les Klinger, Jimmy Aiken, and more. 118 pages about Sherlock Holmes. The illustrators, community, collecting, comics, reviews, film and TV, scholarship, including new artwork, Irene Adler drawn by the inimitable Frank Cho. It looks like a book and reads like a magazine. It's The Sherlock Holmes Review. Get your first edition copy of this essential 2021 Sherlockian annual, the all-new Sherlock Holmes Review, at wessexpress.com. Well, speaking of music... Those little plinkity plunks on the strings there. That means it's time for everyone's favorite Sherlock Holmes quiz program. That's right. It's Canonical Couplet, where we give you two lines of poetry, and we turn to you to identify which Sherlock Holmes story we're talking about. And as you know, I'm always a little hesitant around these parts at this time, but I'll go for it anyway. Bert. Are you ready to identify last episode's canonical couplet? Yes, of course I am. It's um, very easy. You know, this was a this was a one of the standout cases of Sherlock Holmes. It was about the theft. Well, I, I haven't read it yet, though. <laughs> oh yeah, I, yeah, I know you haven't. But You're getting I, your recollections ahead of you. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, yeah. Well, that's because my memory is so active. That, uh, <laughs> well, let's catch everyone else up okay, to, to your advanced level of, of uh, memorization. The, the uh, clue we gave you last time was, doubly preoccupied when this case had begun, Holmes learns Watson's number when at school was 31. Okay, Bert, do your thing. Yes, I do know the. Uh, this is, uh, it's not, not quite like deja vu. Maybe it's like deja 3D because I can just see this so clearly. But this is the case, strange case of the theft of Queen Victoria's favorite knitting pattern. Mm. That's the case Watson called the Blue Cardigan Plans. Yeah, no. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. I don't know either. Well, as usual, we've called in the brigade for help. Eric Deckers says uh, he's got it. It's the story of the devil... Excuse me. Tongue-tied here. It's the story of the devilishly handsome, some would say Monty-esque, baker of French donuts. He spent his days baking his pastries and his evenings fending off the advances of the village women and some of the men. It's the adventure of the desired cruller man. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> and Eric says, sorry, that seems a little too silly, even for me. Upon further reflection, it's more likely the adventure of the retired colorman. Why, yes, yes, that is exactly what we were looking for, Eric. So um, we will see how many other people came to their senses as you did and who actually wins as we bring out the big prize wheel and give it a spin. Watching it go around. Coming to rest on number 37. Number 37. And that means our winner is Ellie Lowe. Ellie, congratulations. Well, and I must note that Ellie actually submitted her response very creatively in the form of a poem. She wrote, The chess-playing miserly geezer believed that his wife was a cheater, so he decided to off his spouse and her toff, but justice caught up with that creature. Well, thank you very much, Ellie. And we'll be sending you a piece of tchotchke or memorabilia or something collectible, or at least modestly collectible, from the iHose vaults. Here in this episode, we actually have a copy of Referring to My Notes to give away to the winner of this clue. Some 50 murderers had crossed Holmes's path as this case was begun. After Holmes's unique engagement, the count was 51. If you know the answer to this episode's canonical couplet, put it in an email addressed to comment at IHearOfSherlock.com with canonical couplet in the subject line. If we choose your answer from all the correct ones, you'll win. Good luck. All right, and special thanks to the Baker Street Irregulars Press for referring to my notes. Well, Bert, referring to my notes, it looks like we are about to wrap up here for our mid-April show. Is there anything else you have to say for yourself, young man? Anything else I have to say for myself? No, I have to throw myself upon the mercy of the court, <laughs> as usual. Well, it is a merciful place, mercifully. Yes. Well... Until next time, this is the completely referential Scott Monty. And I'm in search of a referee because I'm Burt Wolder. And together we say, The, the Games of Foot. <laughs> the, the Games of Foot. I'm afraid that in the pleasure of this conversation, I am neglecting business of importance, which awaits me elsewhere. Thank you for listening. Please be sure to join us again for the next episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast dedicated to Sherlock Holmes. Goodbye, and good luck, and believe me to be my dear fellow. Very sincerely yours, Sherlock Holmes.